International. Welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about frauds, thieves, liars, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Saroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hi, Pat. Hey, how you doing, Kath? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm excited because this is one of the times where I get to tell the story. Yes. So that's fun. Uh, Thank you for doing the intro anyway, because I can never remember uh, all the things, all the liars, thieves, (laughs) bullshitters. I can never remember what what it is. Liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I fuck it up too, but the correct correct one is liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you again for listening, everybody. Um, Yeah. This is our second. We're rec- we sp- behind the scenes. We just recorded uh, last week's episode um, a few minutes ago. And now yeah, we're going for a double header. So I'm excited. Uh, yeah, a good, a good little small talk. I apologize. Yeah, a good little listening tip is uh, if you hear if we start an episode off and there's a lot of small talk and banter up front. We haven't recorded in a long time. Yep, <laughs> if we yep. get right into it, we just recorded another one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, that's what's happening, and uh, I think I got a good one today. I have. A, I, I have a, a pretty well-known one. I feel like this was like a very formative story of a liar for me. Like this was yeah. what got me into the genre of, uh, of liars. This yeah. story. So uh, some of you might know it if you're, if you're uh, a uh, fraud buff like I am. Yeah. Um, just, I don't even know if it, it's like, I'm just a buff fraud. All this interest, (laughs) you are a buff fraud. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to call this. Like it's like because it's not like I'm into fraud. I'm into uh, bad people. I'm into reading about bad people. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 it's, those are always my favorite like things as a kid. Like when I watched like uh, like unsolved mysteries. I like I like like the murders and shit. That was pretty cool. Like the true crime, but like I like the ones where it was like these dudes just I don't know were up to crazy shit. Like just doing yeah, you know like like like, stories of people like trying to get one over on somebody and not being able to like yes like yes I, I don't know what you would call that but this story yeah me and, me and jake uh jake rowe we have in, i'm sorry i mean but me and jake rowe we had in the studio we were talking about uh people like that and jake said they're like people who have uh those fake shark fins on their back but you can still see their head poking above water <laughs> and they're like exactly. i got yeah. everybody thinking i'm a shark and it's like <laughs> no you don't dude like we <laughs> that's a very good metaphor for yeah. what happens in the story I'm going to tell you today. so the story i'm going to tell you today is uh the story of janet cook who um, was a reporter at the Washington Post in the 80s. So I'm just going to get into it. I feel like things will unfold as, uh, as I'm talking. So let me All set right. the scene first uh, to start with. This is 1980. Uh, this is picture like... I mean, this is like literally a couple years after Watergate at the Washington Post, which is like the most prestigious paper in the country now because of Watergate. Because that's yeah. who like that's yeah. who broke Watergate was was Woodward and Bernstein yeah. at uh, 
My, uh, my my girlfriend's daughter was watching a kids story, the other day, a kids show the other day, and in it, these two kids are on the school paper, and one of them was talking about how she was going to write this expose about the cafeteria food, and she's like, "Well, I already talked to the uh, I already talked to the journalism teacher Woodward Bernstein, and he told me that." that I, <laughs> and I, and then I, I looked at my girlfriend's kids, and we're like, "You guys are dumb. You don't get it." <laughs> they put that in there for me. The boys yeah, don't yeah, watch you. Yeah, I'm not leaving the room now. I'm watching this. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, like, I'm just imagining, like, all the President's Men shit, like, this was uh, a big time for newspapers. I I will cite my sources on this. Most of the stuff from this, what I'm going to talk about, comes from uh, an article by a guy named Mike Sager. Uh, It's on the Columbia Journalism Review site. I don't know if it was originally published there or somewhere else, but it's called uh, The Fabulist Who Changed Journalism. Uh, spoiler alert, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> I also am getting some information from uh, Bill Green's obituary with at the Ethics Advice Line for Journalists. Bill Green's was the ombudsman at uh, the Washington Post okay. and her Wikipedia page. So anyway. Okay. Did you say well, he called her a fabulist? Yeah. That's, I've never heard that word before, and that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, F-A-B-U-L-I-S-T, someone who makes up stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or also fabulous uh, writer of the hit song, Breathe. Anyways, but... <laughs> Also that I feel yes. like two really good words in each one of these fabulist and ombudsman. Really yeah, yeah, good words. Yeah, yeah, that's a, an ombudsman. Because let me so, tell you, I, I think I might qualify for that title. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, an ombudsman is like the opposite of that. It's the person whose like job is it's like someone hired by an organization to sort of be its ethical critic. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Not the, the, just the, the resident dude who smokes weed. Um, yeah. <laughs> but also, his last name was Green, and he was an ombudsman. So yeah, 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 yeah. Green's on buds, man. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Okay, so uh, I'm going to quote from some stuff here. So this was like 1980. Uh, Bob Woodward of Watergate fame has been promoted. He's an editor, and then the other editor there is this guy named Bed Bradley, who's like a legend in the journalism business. Yeah, as like an incredible editor. Yeah. Um, a better. So, exactly, a better. So um, Mike Sanger says it was a heady time in the newspaper business, a golden age when the news budget was flush and the media carried a sheen of importance and invincibility. The Post's own Woodward and Carl Bernstein had inspired a crowded field of young reporters to join the business in the interest of wearing the white hat of the public's right to know. Like very noble, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like this is it. This was when it was like we need an independent media is like yeah. so important. A time so, before cable. Exactly. (laughs) So, and this is really, the story is really kind of the beginning of the end. So they hired this woman, Janet Cook, from uh, the Toledo Blade in Ohio in 1980. Uh, At a time when the newspaper business was just beginning a journey toward workplace diversity, here, Janet Cook was a twofer. A highly black, a highly talented black woman, a highly black woman, also. (laughs) (laughs) A highly talented black woman with an impressive resume. So she, uh, on her resume, she said um, she had this great resume. She worked at the Toledo Blade. She had a master's from the University of Toledo. Yeah, that's a badass newspaper name, by the way. The Toledo Blade. Come on. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a wrestler name. The Toledo Blade. Give it up for the. Yeah. So, yeah, so she went to Vassar. She has a master's from the, the uh, University of Iowa Toledo. Uh, big deal. Uh, Bradley passes Cook's information to Bob Woodward with the message that the young Toledo Blade reporter should be recruited before the New York Times or the network scooped her up. So this is like 
this is great. She is, uh, she's black. She's female. She's yeah. super qualified. Like this is the kind of voice we need to post. So yeah, and she's a stone her. cold fox. I don't she know. If she actually is, also is like super hot. Uh, that's fuck like yeah. Part of it. Um, so she's 25. She's like a young, promising upstart. Oh, uh, all right, all right. I, I, I'm just getting that 1980s groove feeling again. Like I'm just like, like I'm watching a preview to HBO's The Deuce. You know, <laughs> just, yeah, 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 yeah. Very much what's going on. So nine months after she gets hired, she publishes the story Jimmy's World. So this was like it, it was a big deal. So this article says Beautif- beautifully wit- written and well researched. Jimmy's World was the perfect storm of a story, a compelling combination of writer and subject matter and the politics of the day. It described an eight-year-old on heroin and the drug trade around him. Oh, I've heard very lightly. I've heard this, like, I've heard this sentence of the story. Lady wrote fake story, eight-year-old on heroin. That's all I knew. I did not know she was a stone-cold fucking sexy black girl. I did. (laughs) Hell yeah. It's wild. It's really wild. So. It was a huge feature. It ran 2,100 2100 words. Uh, It was the big feature, front page story on the post. The article included Cook's reporting about the city's burgeoning heroin trade, the emergence of the Golden Crescent in Asia as a major producer of heroin, and the impact of drugs on the community, years before the crack epidemic made this a common theme. So this is like pre this being like a really marketable discipline of uh, investigative journalism. It was a big deal. So uh, it continues. At the heart of the piece was a fourth grader who lived in a heroin shooting gallery with his mother and her boyfriend, a drug dealer named Ron. Uh, she writes uh, it, it comes from a, just adding to the sterling tradition of guys named Ron who sell drugs <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah 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 I, I know more than a, I, 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 I've de- definitely bought weed for a couple Rons I don't think I've ever met someone named Ron who didn't sell drugs yeah yeah I have I a good friend of mine named straight... I have a good friend of mine named Ron Ron so he counts for two I'm sorry his name is Ron 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 yeah <laughs> like that's yeah. his real name uh, his name I, I'm fairly certain his name's Ronald but he's uh, he's Ron Ron it's Ronald Ron. Yeah, <laughs> we actually we it was we got Ron Ron, and then there's any for Houston hip hop heads out there, we call him OG Ron C. So, okay, tight, tight. Uh, okay, so yeah, so it's about Ron, uh, Ron's girlfriend, Jimmy's mother, and Jimmy, the fourth grader on heroin. Jesus so Christ! Here's here's uh, uh, the the piece came to a chilling end with Jimmy receiving his heroin fix as the reporter watches. The needle slides into the boy's soft skin like a straw pushed into the center of a freshly baked cake. Pretty soon, man, Ron says, you got to learn how to do this for yourself. So, God like, damn that. I, I, like, I know where this is going. and That still gave me chills. Yeah, it's it's a great piece. So yeah. I, I'll I will read this, though. I feel like the beginning is a little bit hokey, just knowing what we know. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. So I have a little bit of the I have an excerpt I want to read that's just like. There are some really amazing... It's worth reading. It's a very beautifully written story. Actually, like, well, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who's like a, you know, very celebrated uh, fiction writer. Yes. When this happened, he was quoted as saying, it's, uh, she shouldn't have won the Pulitzer, but it's a crime she didn't win the Pulitzer for for fiction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really beautifully written. Yeah. Yeah. but it, this is how it starts, and it just kind of made me laugh because it's so dramatic. But, okay, so Jimmy is eight years old and a third-generation heroin addict, a precocious little boy with sandy hair, velvety brown eyes, and needle marks freckling the baby-smooth skin of his brown arm. Oh, God damn it! 
He nestles in a large beige reclining chair in the living room of his comfortably furnished home in Southeast Washington. There's an almost cherubic expression on his small round face as he talks about life, clothes, money, the Baltimore Orioles and heroin. He's been an addict. The food pyramid of a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All you need in life. Yeah. Uh, it continues. His hands are clasped behind his head. Fancy running shoes adorn his feet. And a striped IZOD t-shirt hangs over his thin frame. Bad, ain't it? Yeah. Close to a reporter visiting recently. I got me six of these. this is the eight-year-old yeah this is the eight-year-old so it's just like i just think this story is so interesting because it's so and like we'll we'll talk about this as we go through but it's it's really interesting to me that it was like this woman who is being there's a lot of pressure on her to be sort of like this token black reporter yeah and she has to make up this story which is so tailored toward like a, a white audience who yeah it, it seems like like black suffering yeah. it seems like somebody who was uh out there on the ground floor like someone who actually lived in these neighborhoods would be like that's ridiculous you know like mm-hmm. that would like you know like, like they would understand like even if there was an eight-year-old hair like i i've never done heroin but like i i know a lot of junkies and like an eight-year-old's constitution holding hair like, like knowing about heroin and having it just like the maturity to then know that like you know he's got some a fly ass eyes it just that doesn't fit like that doesn't add up you know like but yeah and it's and like even if it was real it's like the the details that you're choosing to hit on here like as beautifully as it as it is written is um it just seems so sort of like designed to play on the sympathies of like the uh upper class people in Washington of like yeah. all these these barbaric uh, yeah 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 ghetto denizens yeah. Like giving their children heroin like yeah. what the fuck is wrong with them they're, it's almost like their compassion is itself a form of racism because it's like the, the they're, they're they have not acclimated himself enough to like to real black people to think that like this is completely uncanny you know like this is like they're they're right, or that it's or that it's just like uh like if you wrote if you read this in something now you'd be like this feels like kind of minstrelly yeah 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 right so but anyway i I, will keep going because it's it's gonna come up again yeah um so anyway this story comes out it's a huge deal it's a huge deal in washington dc uh people are outraged that there's calls from uh lots of readers that they want to find this boy and help him oh yeah yeah of course that would happen yeah fuck i didn't think about that so um and one of these readers was marion barry the mayor of washington (laughs) free free his whole deal yeah yeah he's like bring me this motherfucker (laughs) yeah he's like someone's doing drugs in washington dc we need to help them i need to find out where he's getting these drugs from i need to find out how much he's paying for these drugs We need to find this boy, yeah. and more importantly, we need to find his plug. Because... Yeah. Oh God, your life must be so hard. And who, who are you actually doing all this with? <laughs> so, Marion Barry organizes a task force, a police task force, to find this boy, to find this boy Jimmy. And so they like they say he. Li- she said he lives in Southeast D.C. They're like going out looking for him, knocking on doors. They don't find him. So that leads a lot of people to believe that this is not true. 
Okay, oh. well that, that that's good. That the, the sometimes it takes five or six red flags before the like the public consciousness oh, kind of oh, kicks in the gear. There, it's there. It's not over. There's oh, okay, yeah, a yeah. Lot more fucking yeah. <laughs> so people had cl- people were starting to doubt it, uh, but not enough because um, the post. So basically, uh, it, I'm a little out of order, but basically Janet Cook. They ask her who is this boy. She says. Um, I I have to protect my sources. They spoke to me under the condition of anonymity. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Also, I I was threatened by Ron. Ron threatens me. (laughs) And if if word gets out of who they are and anything happens, like, he threatened my life. Ron had a... Ron actually had a a disorder that was very common in the 1980s where... uh, uh, a, a, an ongoing looping funk beat would play just while you lived your life just from out of nowhere and he was just like yeah he was just like girl you better keep mum you know what I'm saying he said exiting a door with beads on him oh absolutely absolutely the the beads in the door were definitely applied in those couple of paragraphs so so yeah she says she has to protect her source the post stood behind her and and asserted the First Amendment right to protect its reporter from having to reveal the boy's whereabouts. Uh, The newspaper faced heavy, heavy criticism for this, especially uh, by black residents of D.C., which is a majority black city. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the the article um, by Sanger says uh, when journalists saw where journalists saw a blockbuster story with bright writing and a deep social impact, civilians saw a child in need, and activists saw a captivating example of the black man's burden. Jimmy was never found. Uh, the Wikipedia page for Janet Cook says that Barry then responding to pressure lied and claimed that Jimmy was known to the city because people were making such a big deal about it mm. that he just was like, oh, yeah, 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 we, we found him. Yeah, uh, and I, oh, man, this is like, I, I obviously, I'm sure this is very derivative from this story as well as the other one we got at the Baltimore Sun, but this is like a lot of season five of The Wire vibe yes. going on. Yeah, and uh, I, I was reminded when you talked about the... Um, uh, how it's for certain people it appealed as as a, as a big like uh, uh, it appealed to them as, as a piece of journalistic integrity it reminded me of when the guy at the newspaper says uh, we're, we're trying to focus on the on the bigger picture on the uh, the Dickensian aspect you know yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah this is very much like uh, the the guy who wrote the wire David Simon worked for the Baltimore Sun yeah it's near DC yeah yeah was f- familiar with this story yeah. for sure this is like they teach this in journalism ethics classes like yeah. this is a big big story so uh, yeah so apparently I couldn't find any other sources of this so I don't know if it's true but apparently Marion Barry was just like oh yeah we found him he's in treatment and then like a little while later they were like he died <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know if that's true but like I love the idea that after this all comes uh, out Marion Barry amazing when you have an ima- like killing an imaginary kid uh, you get all the benefits of killing a kid with none of the risk <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you shirk off all the normal responsibilities that you shirk off when you kill a kid and you also don't go to prison for it <laughs> Dodge a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, that's I got. I, I hope that doesn't enter the lexicon. But like, man, that was like uh, killing a fake dead kid. If you get my drift, <laughs> <laughs> just makes all your problems go away yeah. uh, <laughs> until you get caught smoking crack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problems. That bitch set me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's like there's a little bit of controversy about this story. People. People have their doubts. Um, uh, uh, reportedly, people in 
within the post also kind of had their doubts, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But but nothing really ever materialized. Nothing was like concrete enough. Yeah. That uh, and and uh, Woodward and Bradley, the editors, they submitted the story for a Pulitzer because it it made a, a huge impact on like drug policy in D.C. Uh, it was a huge yeah. story, so they submitted it for a Pulitzer. So. Uh, despite the doubts about the story's veracity, in 1981, Janet Cook became the first African-American woman to ever win a Pulitzer for journalism. So she won for Jimmy's World. Yeah. And uh, the article that I read says she won after the well-intentioned Pulitzer committee enthusiastic about both Cook's story and the possibility of awarding the first Pulitzer in journalism to an African-American woman moved her entry from the local news category to the feature writing category in order to assure her a prize. Oh, so they yeah. like were really on her side. They really wanted her to win yeah um you know the post was elated this was huge again she's like 26 at this point like this is a very young yeah uh a very young person and really like seen as like this is going to do huge things for your career like you're you know you're on track to being a woodward and bernstein yeah that's like what you could be in this in this sort of environment so yeah so people are stoked uh, very briefly, because then, <laughs> <laughs> as as Stoke as stoking has a tendency to do, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in our stories. Uh, unlike the last woman we talked about, who got away for her, with her fraud for twenty two years, yeah, uh, this this fell apart within two days of winning the Pulitzer. Um, <laughs> yeah things happen so <laughs> was society more inclined to hold her feet to the fire than say a rita crundwell <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I don't know you should write a think piece on that yeah I feel like we need to get to the bottom of yeah, it yeah. Um, watch out slate <laughs> there was i hope that was a relevant reference <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh yeah Slate's uh, totally a relevant reference for uh, a dumb think piece okay that, uh, right, yeah. people would like get mad about for sure cool cool um, that is, they are a, a leader in the think piece economy. For yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's interesting to me how this sort of started to unravel because uh, instead of it in, unraveling because of the journalistic efforts of the uh, prestigious Washington Post, our friends at the fucking awesomely named Toledo Blade were uh, <laughs> going to play a role here because they oh, fucking nice. rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, article says, proud of its former employee, the Toledo Blade quickly prepared a story. It went to press at 8 a.m. Later that morning, Blade editors read biographical sketches of the Pulitzer winners that moved over the Associated Press wire. The sketches were based on the resumes submitted with the entries. So, they're basically giving you information about the winners. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's like the, the shit. Blades? It's like the shit they, they. It's like the thing they pad the Olympics with for fucking four hours instead of showing the actual <laughs> event. It's exactly. like he was, yeah, he was born in Toledo, and yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's what they're reading. Uh, but they've already published their story about her, about how she used to work there and stuff. So they are lo- reading her biography, and they realize that their bio for her, which is taken from their personnel records, yeah, is is very different than the one uh, that the Pulitzer has. Oh so, shit. Yeah, so on her Pulitzer resume, Cook claimed to have graduated magna cum laude from Vassar College and to have a master's degree from the University of Toledo. From what the Blade knew, she'd attended Vassar only for her freshman year and received a Bachelor of the Arts from the University of Toledo. She did not have a master's degree, so she only had a BA. Uh, When you said the magna cum laude, uh, uh, the... um, 
uh, cornerstone in humor, uh, the music director from the Baptist church I grew up in, <laughs> used to have this awful joke where he would go, uh, yeah, him and his wife went to the same college. He goes, yeah, she graduated from UMHB, magna cum laude. I graduated, thank the laude. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a quality dad joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, Jim, Jim Kelsey? Jim Kelsey? Oh, fuck, I don't know his name. Shout yeah. out to Jim Kelsey. Or yeah, 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 yeah. That rules. So, uh, yeah, so they realize, like, something's not right here. This isn't yeah. This isn't what we thought was going on. So uh, the article I read has an amazing segment where uh this starts to happen they realize something's going on there's some inconsistencies in her resume they don't really understand that there's inconsistencies in the article yet but since it had sort of been called into question a little bit and then it coming out that she lied about her resume they're like we need to look into this because this is this is bad so bradley says uh to the to the ombudsman uh he uses the (laughs) phrase he just says take her to the woodshed Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Take her to the woodshed. (laughs) Take her to the woodshed. So. uh, (laughs) Third time we did that that week. It was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're like, you know, this is like the most prestigious paper in the country. And they got fucked. Like, they got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got had. Yeah. So uh, then they start to sort of question the story. So. That's sort of what they focus on. They're like, we're, we're, we're going to deal with the inconsistencies in her resume later. We need to figure out if this story is true. Yeah. So they, uh, 11 hours, they drive her around. Uh, it, it says in the, in the article, uh, you know, in various offices at the Post, at the Capitol Hilton Bar, and even in the the editor's car as they drove around D.C. looking for Jimmy's house, Janet was interrogated, conjoled, comforted, pressured, and flattered. So they're basically just trying to get the story out. Of yeah, yeah, and just they, put her like the emotional the emotional wood chipper. <laughs> yeah, and and they're just trying to tease this out. And she's clearly really upset. And she says she can show them their house, his house, Jimmy's house. So uh, there's all this back and forth. Uh, she gives them one address. She gives them another address. It reminded me a lot of the story that we talked about about um, the honor killing lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When uh, she went uh, to Norma Cowrie. Yeah, Norma Cowrie. It reminded me of Norma Cowrie when Norma Cowrie went back to uh, Jordan and like drove around and was just like, "What? None of the stuff was." Yeah, there. yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> That's like what happens. Like she drives around with with the editors of the Washington Post, like searching for this house that she knows doesn't exist yeah man that's like, or like when they when they uh uh started they started moving in on casey anthony uh yeah, she, she yeah, took yeah. them to she told them she worked at fucking disney and like took them to a like luckily just lucked lucked herself into a back office and like was walking around his office trying to say she was looking for her desk they must have moved her desk and like the investigators were like it became very obvious she had no clue what this building was or yeah, where yeah, things yeah. were located in it so that's what's happening. And so they're driving around with her. They're trying to get the story out of her. Back at the post offices, the editors are looking at her research notes and listening to her interviews because she recorded interviews with, with 
uh, for background for the story with like drug yeah. experts, social workers, people like that. Uh, so she, she it has, was just her doing the voice. She's like, now, now, what do you think about <laughs> in a case? In a case of Jimmy's like, well, I think Jimmy is a real bad drug addict. <laughs> oh, She's yes, talking yeah. about her Izod shirts. And like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got six. I got me six of these. Yeah, yeah. I think you're a real good journalist. <laughs> like, oh well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So. There's nothing in any of her notes about Jimmy, about Ron, about anybody. There's oh, nothing. Man. They can't find anything. So, uh, see, instead of just doing her, a story about the fucking the drug trade, she had to focus on the Dickensian aspect. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She well, she was doing the the research on the Dickensian aspect, and then she had to make up the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. She's ret- she goes back to the post. She's still insisting that her story was true. She she's telling them she's just like. Basically, just double down, double down, deny, yeah. deny, deny, deny. Yeah, yeah, deny, deny, deny. Counter accuse, deny. That's how you get out yes. of anything. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the next morning, she finally confesses that Jimmy's not real. She says he's a composite of several young drug users. She said that some of her sources had hinted to her about the existence of a boy like Jimmy. <laughs> Dear God, Mary and Barry killed a composite of eight children. <laughs> <laughs> It's a serial child murderer. He had all of them killed. So, uh, yes, I, yeah. I, I have eight victims, but I like to think I have one victim that is compiled of eight <laughs> different victims. So, like, he, so she says that, like, she was, there was a lot of pressure on her to deliver this story. Uh, she made, made him up when she couldn't find any of the, any of the young uh, heroin addicts that she was looking for. So she confesses uh, to a managing editor. There's no Jimmy. There's no family. It was a fabrication. I want to give the prize back. So she uh, says in a written note, uh, two days after winning the Pulitzer, she says, Jimmy's world was an essence of fabrication. I've never encountered or interviewed an eight-year-old heroin addict. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. September. Nobody has, lady. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing. Not a thing. Uh the article in the Washington Post was a serious misrepresentation, which I deeply regret. I apologize to my newspaper, my profession, the Pulitzer board, and all seekers of the truth. Today, in facing up to the truth, I have submitted my resignation. So, you know what? she gets owned. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do have to say, uh, in, in some of these stories, we'll see lies go on for three decades. And it looks like mm-hmm. after about an afternoon, she kind of figured, she was like, okay, this is... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's that, but I mean, still, it's a, it's a very, it was, it was a bad lie. It was, a, it was definitely a little bit of a damaging lie. Because I'm sure, like how we did in the, in the Shelby Wayne Simmons thing, I'm, I bet there was people in her day and age who never got the news that it was all fake. Who they were just like, oh, the damn DC and those ghettos, they got eight year old heroin addicts, and the parents are giving it to them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, completely. And and even worse than that, like people who did find out about this. It totally damaged the reputation of the entire industry of journalism. Yeah, 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 and, that, yeah. There was fake news. You know, this is fake yeah, news. This is like the beginning of fake news shit, and it was even worse because it was like one of the few prominent black journalists. Yeah, so yeah. Now people oh, have like people have ammo, ammo to say like yeah, diversity yeah, yeah, are yeah, yeah. Look, look, look what happened last night. Uh, as, as Dave Chappelle said, uh, everybody wants to be the first person to do something, but don't be the first black person to do anything. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And that's like really what happens. Like, yeah. so 
Oh, we'll jump back into the action here. Uh, Two days after the prize had been awarded, post-publisher Donald E. Graham held a press conference and admitted the story was fraudulent. So they they held a press conference. Uh, There was an editorial in the next day's paper that offered a public apology. Uh, Woodward, who was a managing editor at the time, said uh, the following. He said, I believed it. We published it. Official questions had been raised, but we stood by the story and her. Internal questions had been raised, but none about her other work. The reports were about the story not sounding right, being based on anonymous sources, and primarily about purported lies about her personal life, told by three reporters, two she had dated and one who felt in close competition with her. So again, this is like, there's so much like weird identity stuff with this where it's like, people were like telling the editors that this was fishy but like it was all people that she'd slept with yeah so, yeah, like, yeah so they, they were like they were considered like compromised sources like yeah, yeah. so everybody is like sort of compromised and like her editor was just like so sort of jazzed about her work and she was so yeah. she was apparently incredibly charming and incredibly bright and so didn't push her on the anonymous sources yeah like, and also at this point I bet there was like a thing of like uh, anonymous sources that she she probably bridged the gulf for a lot of those people with any connection to that community whatsoever like they were like you know like like I'm sure there's like oh anonymous sources like I'm sure she knows a ton of black people I don't know you know like 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 yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) no and that was like really I I read a really good long detailed article about this a few years ago that I don't think is on the internet anymore when I was researching this but apparently that was a big part of it was that she sort of sold to them uh and and i think a lot of it was probably implied on their part was like oh this is a world you know yeah 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 yeah. she was an upper class uh you know white collar person from the suburbs of toledo she was not from that community at all like she had no connection to those people apart from being of the same yeah, race she, she, and, she vanilla iced it <laughs> <She's just> yeah, <laughs> she completely vanilla iced it that's like exactly what happened and like i do feel for her a little bit because i don't know i'm sure a lot of it was her like there's a lot of evidence of her being somebody who lied a lot in her life and yeah it's like yeah this not prob- an honest person yeah. but like i also think if you're the only black person in a in a newsroom of a majority black city and you're doing reporting like that like that's gotta be there's gotta be a lot of pressure on you yeah yeah because they, they, they want like like you know you can't be like oh well i i i saw something about how uh the, the state does kickbacks to, to banks and they're like well, we don't want that story from you you know like like yeah yeah, yeah tell we, us about the dickensian aspect. yeah yeah tell us about more about the dickensian aspect but yeah like <laughs> yeah we want to hear like i i got i got a guy who does those stories i want someone who does this story and it was it's kind of one of those things where you see like a con man these conning people who want to be conned or who are being conned on their on their greed or their ignorance you know what I'm saying they're not it's not like they're I'm not going to say they're victims but it's like they're uh they're playing into it too they were like oh shit we could have the first we could we could have the first nobel prize winning black female yeah. in our newsroom and that'll be our thing you know what I'm saying so it wasn't like they didn't have any fucking skin in the game no, absolutely. And like they, you know, they wanted this story, this horrible story to be true. Yeah. You know. Oh, they so like, badly like god damn it, I wish there was an 8-year-old on heroin out there. Yeah, like they really <laughs> want there to be an 8-year-old on heroin and like you know, that's fucked up. 36 hours ago, I lived in this magical world where there was this 8-year-old doing heroin and I was on top <laughs> of the fucking world. And yeah, exactly. yeah, snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's like it's crazy so 
this happens, it really, it, it has a huge impact on, uh, on, on journalism. So, and it touches on so many issues. And this, this article goes into some of them. Racial and sexual diversity in the newsroom, the use of unnamed sources, the responsibility of editors to question reporters' stories. Yeah. Uh, the responsibility of writers to fact check their own stories, the pressures of working on deadline, uh, the perils of literary journalism. Like there's yeah. all these things that go into this. Yeah. And, it, it, and I, I, I mean, I, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you uh, go ahead. Oh, I, I can't. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I read a lot of news from like uh, a lot of different sources, but I can't speak to the uh, to, like, basically, it's funny how it seems like in a lot of online news outlets, all those principles that you just discussed have also been again thrown out the fucking window. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, well, now, yeah, yeah. like there's the the integrity of journalism has been so compromised yeah. that now yeah. it's just i mean just today the day we're recording this which it'll probably be old news by by the time this comes out but there was an op-ed in the New York Times today from a from Eric Prince who's like a a private military contractor about how we need to use private military contractors in Afghanistan. Huh. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. who would have thought that guy would have that have that opinion? Yeah, huh? and, and, like, and, and, and the fact is, I mean, like the medium that it, that it's in, it's it's uh, it's it's words on a screen, just like CNN, just like Fox, just like MSNBC. It's words on a screen. Someone so someone reads an op ed, and it's fucking you know to them it's 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 news. This is news. This is fact. You know, what I'm saying like I'm reading words on the internet. This guy wrote it, and it's like, well, that's not fact. The guy obviously has a dog in the fight. He has a bias. And and it's just like, obviously, that's not investigative journalism, but like, well, I'm reading this op-ed in the New York Times. Yeah. Like, a a supposedly responsible media outlet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't think, I I did not, I I missed that part. You said it was the New York Times. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. Like, yeah. Like there's and this is like I obviously I'm not a I'm not a big fan of 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 our of of Trump okay, I'm not at all, but uh, like I noticed that like there's a ongoing uh, essentially a political commentary on him in CNN by a guy last name Salitza, and like I agree with every point that Salitza makes, and I I'm sure if I if I clicked on it it would say hey this is this guy's opinion, but his shit is like included in the ticker like it's just like right. it's just like Salitza like Trump's a huge piece of shit. I'm like no I, I get it that, that's very true he is a huge piece of shit but it's like that's like you're obviously just throwing this fucking thing up there you know people are gonna click you know everybody thinks he's a piece of shit because he is but like how is this like but like your job as a journalist is to tell me why he's a piece uh, yeah like, yeah give me the give me the facts and let me determine it, correctly that he is a piece of shit yeah because it, i will because the facts it, point to that. Yeah, yeah but, but that's yeah. not your job your job yeah. is to tell me the facts. There was a there was a write up in the uh, in the Austin Chronicle or the Statesman. I was a Statesman, and um, or the Chronicle. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> there was a write up, and it happened in Austin. Uh, as you know, the the glorious uh, Red River District uh, in downtown Austin, Texas. Uh, the, the the home of mugshots and the home of sidebar, <laughs> you know, like the home yeah. of Barracuda and fucking uh, all those fun places or Barcelona, or fucking that was the one they did Tuesdays. Uh, Barbarella, Barbarella. There you go. So you know, it's like that little strip of bars. That uh, I'd say, uh, if there's 24 hours or however many hours are in a week, I'd say about a good quarter of them I can be found. Uh, uh, 
dancing around between those two establishments. Sure. Sidebar, mugshots. That area, it's also next to Arch Homeless Center. It's also next to the food trucks. It's very populated. It's very crazy. There's people sleeping on the floor. Um, yeah. It is pretty nuts. But this dude here wrote, I don't know if you remember this shit. It was a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the Chronicle. Oh, it was the, the Chronicle. Yeah. Yeah. The guy wrote this article where he was basically like, he detailed the walk from essentially sidebar to mugshots, which I make several times a day. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and he said, uh, he was just like, as I walked out of there, I was approached by a man offering to go in half on a sack of spice with me. Another guy wanted to know if I had money. One guy wanted to fight. One guy was drinking with no shirt on. Someone without pants was sleeping on the ground. This person came and said this. It's like, dude, that's a block and a fucking half. That did not happen to you in one yeah. block and a half. Now, let me say you take that you took that walk ten times. Perhaps you know each one of those things happened, but he definitely it was definitely an amalgam of a bunch of different things. But he just straight up says, "I took a walk from here to there, and this is what happened." And And it's like, dude, it fucking didn't because we we don't live in we we don't live in goddamn the wild west. Like, and uh, they they had one just funny quote from one of the bar owners, I think from Barbarella, and he was like, "Man, I came out here one day, and in the alley there was this this dude just taking a shit, and then he just got done taking a shit and." Fuck this girl. <laughs> it's like, it's almost exactly that sentence. <laughs> well, it's like, it's, there's that. And it's like that article. I remember being really pissed off about it yeah. because of all that. Cause it's like, first of all, that's not true. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anyone who's been downtown knows that that didn't all happen to you. Yeah. Like, and also like you, even if it did, like you still, you still are by choosing what information is significant and what information is not significant, you are your opinion is in there. You're Ex- having exa- yeah, exactly. That, that, that's not because like, you yeah. and and that's like fine. That's like part of the job, but like you have to be really careful of that. And that's not what people read anymore. People don't read objective reporting. People yeah. read think pieces and op eds yep. and things like yep. that. And it's we're fucked. Yeah, and then like the 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 the, 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 or the rise of the think piece and the op ed, whatever viewpoint it uh, it represents or claims to represent, um, it's always a v- like more than likely an extreme attention grabbing version of that. And then yeah. the an opposing side is left with this idea of that that's everybody. You know, oh, they these these kids on college. I hate when fucking people are like the goddamn college campuses these days. They're trying to say you can't say what it's like like. One one group of kids did something, and thirty people or one person wrote a think piece right. about how it's just it's just how you manufacture straw men for people to argue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Happens on both sides, and it's yeah, fucking stupid. I, I when, uh, um, when uh, Bill Burr like two years ago, he uh, he made uh, a Caitlyn Jenner joke on on Conan O'Brien. I'm a big Bill Burr fan, and as a Bill Burr fan, and also a person who realizes what our political climate is like, I oftentimes have panic attacks where I'm like, shit, this is it for Bill. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, like Bill's getting taken yeah, down. Like, oh, this is it. This, this is this is the last straw for poor Bill. This is the last straw for, for, for poor Bill. He's like, I really, I use one of my favorite comics. And like, so like, I, uh, I fucking like when that happened, I was just like, when it started, the, the thing started getting circulated, and I was just like, oh no! And then Nick Mullen somehow wind up on the front up on the front page of Breitbart by saying, uh, Nick Mullen said <laughs> six million. That's how many people are gonna die because of Bruce Burr, Bill Burr's comments. <laughs> <laughs> and then Breitbart ran it as like, look at the really? you know, look, 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You can look at that. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they believe they, they compiled a bunch of tweets and they definitely ran a Nick Mullen tweet and it was basically as like, like a sincere Yeah, yeah. As like look look at how the fucking liberal left and da 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 da. Yeah. And I mean I'm not saying I'm not being like Nick, you fucked us. It's just that's what they do. Like you took an ironic Oh, that's Breitbart fucked us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You took an ironic Twitter comment and you did that. And so I was nervous as fuck. I was waiting for the Monday morning podcast, per the use, waiting for it to drop. You know, like and I I, uh, I listened to it and I uh, talks for a little bit then he goes oh let me let me, just, let me talk about the thing everyone's talking about I know it's the tip of everybody's tongue my weight loss guys I've been at the gym and like he just never actually <laughs> addressed it and a few think pieces went up like one of them specifically I believe was titled here's why what Bill Burr said is dangerous which I mean I'm, I'm not saying you can't argue the point that like that those jokes are dangerous but there are a few a few think pieces went up he never even painted a single ounce of mind and it it had it was just it, three days later it was washed away nothing yeah, happened it's gone yeah and and that's like a good thing and a bad thing but yeah, well, of course like, yeah i mean a little you, you, more to the story i do want yeah sorry to about that quite done yet uh so like i do want to just include some quotes and then i'll sort of get in so uh probably the biggest change wrought by the cook affair was the way reporters were allowed to use and manage unnamed sources so for actual journalism uh which is that thing that no one actually reads anymore yeah. uh it has changed. So prior to Cook, reporters were trusted the way Woodward was with Deep Throat. Yeah. So like, again, if you have to give up your sources, like that can really compromise your reporting. Like, yeah. Watergate wouldn't have happened if he had to give up his source. Um, but in the months after the Cook affair, that began to change. Most new pa- newspapers now do require journalists to at least give their editor the names of the yeah. sources. There's rare cases where they don't, which... We've seen a little bit with all this Russia stuff with Trump. Yeah. And we've also seen it really backfire with some of this Russia stuff in, with Trump because a lot of it is not credible. Yeah. And people just get excited because that's what everybody's reading about and they'll publish shit that turns out not to be true. Um, but uh, a, a, a black journalist uh, named, last name Malvo, uh, gave a quote, said, it basically eroded the integrity of a cadre of African-American journalists who do street reporting. It made people yep. look at people of color, and African-Americans in particular, with more scrutiny. Janet Cook gave white folks permission to be skeptical about black people in the newsroom. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and she says, anytime an African-American screws up, especially in the area of integrity, it essentially slimes all African-Americans. When a white guy screws up, like Stephen Glass, who is a recent yep. example of a journalistic scandal, uh, doesn't slime white people. They just say, okay, he was a jerk and move on. Yeah. So I, I have watched a, a boss of mine in the past, uh, in, a, in a year of working at a place, uh, go through uh, numerous black and white employees. I'm sorry, uh, numerous white employees, uh, two black employees. And, uh, after the, she got rid of the second black employee, she basically like, that's, that's, you know, that's why I don't hire the, them. But meanwhile, Ooh. we had like, three white employees like that also came and went in the course of the year because they were dishonest shitty bad at their job like it was just like but you get you kept hiring them you know it was it, it, it does right. yeah yeah, yeah. It, you're not using this as a that that constant that that lapse in judgment or you know just out, you know, outright racism it, it 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 permeates itself in such like big like little things like in the workplace and then big things it's just like it's a like subconscious reflex of some people and, and, yeah, and, and no, it just gets echoed and yeah ex- yeah magnified and you'll have you'll have so many people who won't do the decent thing when you say that's why i don't hire black people who won't say hey what the fuck they'll just be all like oh yeah well yeah yeah you know like like you're, yeah. you're allowed to say that like it's it's crazy 
So uh, another post staffer says, what, what caused Janice to do what she did, Janet to do what she did was personal. So this is a personal problem. Yeah. But as it happened, the organization pushed a flawed person into something she couldn't handle. It's like taking a person who's weak and encouraging them to do something that they're not equipped to resist. Correct. It's almost like the, the Duke lacrosse case. That that shitty yeah. that shitty prosecutor took this mentally uh, like this mentally uh, not challenged but mentally disturbed woman uh, who eventually yeah. ended up killing someone else and going to prison. And then I think she got killed in prison, unfortunately. And uh, he manipulated her for the sake of his fucking reelection campaign. Right. And it's again, it's people going, "Oh, you have a eight year old heroin addict." Yeah. Like, tell me more yeah 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 So it's like it's not totally on her but it also is and she sucks and so she she resigned from the post she never worked in journalism again there's a story that came out about this uh in 96 like that's 26 years after this all happened she was working uh in a department store for minimum wage broke uh yeah it, it was bad but don't worry uh she gave this interview with Mike Sager uh, about it, and uh, they then sold the film rights to the story for $1.6 million. Oh, so, <laughs> don't worry. She did okay. Oh, uh, man. It never got off the ground. It never got off the... It never, like, but, the fil- but the film rights, she still netted that $1.6. But she got that $1.6 million, and I'm also kind of pissed because I want this to be a movie. I think it would be a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. I would also kind of want to see like a more meta movie movie about her getting that 1.6 for line like that's crazy man that's uh that's nuts uh that's wow what a fucking what a, what a good story i had always heard i'd heard that thing about you know the the woman with the eight-year-old heroin addict and it not being true and i i did not know any of that other stuff that's crazy yeah it's a really wild story and like it is wild like uh sager was saying in his article just the amount of sort of uh tense issues it it involves yeah yeah it's such a complicated story oh my god imagine like if it's your job to like um just essentially tell the person like i guess you had to fire her and you're just like it's you're you have all the fucking nuance of a 1980s fucking office guy you're like well they're um uh uh black woman (laughs) it's like just like okay and you know news <laughs> news 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 yeah. black woman like you just like don't know that's such it was everything that's touchy right there in your fucking yeah. face like the- it's such a yeah it's like a real pandora's box of shit yeah and a lot of it they didn't really address at the time because of that yeah like, oh yeah and like the way um, it had to be like like it, that's like something that's almost impossible to have an honest discussion about like, especially back then like oh yeah like nobody's yeah. gonna say what they really feel nobody's gonna speak the fact there's some points where like it doesn't need to be sugar-coated or some parts where it really fucking should be you know like nobody's gonna like know how to deal with that and god right they're gonna be like oh this like jezebel woman yeah like sexy charming yeah black lady like conned us all yeah like, no that's not exactly yeah exactly like you have to you have to acknowledge the extent to which you really wanted to be conned. yeah you want yeah it was yeah you it, it wasn't like you were hesitant to have a, a, a historical pulitzer prize winner on your staff right. you know yeah and it's like i yeah i don't know it's just that weird point in his it's like the i feel like this this whole thing could have only happened in 1980 you know yeah like, because <laughs> yeah. before that it people would have been too racist yep and after that people would have been uh less racist but in a weird different way yeah but it's, <laughs> but it's, like, it's like the influx of that you almost want to say not racist enough <laughs> like, yeah, that's right, that's not the, yeah yeah no nah, yeah it's that the, the type of race yeah. change yeah and 
like because now yeah I, don't I, I heard I, saw, I heard a term one time somebody said the uh uh the silent racism of low expectation yeah yeah, yeah. like like where yeah, yeah like where if you if you don't hold her feet to the fire over this you're essentially almost saying like she didn't know any better you know what I'm saying like like it's, right? yeah yeah where, where you know where you you strip her of the ability to connive and con which everyone's capable of that if you say someone is uh somehow above that or beyond that you're essentially dehumanizing them to an extent you're, right i mean it's it's like a very like in this case that's you know that's like a huge that's like how they justified colonialism was these like oh the noble savage yeah like, yeah people who are so virtuous like there's all this shit in there like that and there's also just like there's sexism there's uh tokenism there's yeah. all this stuff and it's like I don't know if I can't find it anymore and I don't know if they took it off the internet, but if anybody's interested in this finding the report by Bill Green, the ombudsman, it was, it's really good and like very detailed and talks about sort of the play by play of like her trying to go to the, uh, go to that, bring them to the house, yeah, and, like all this stuff. It's really interesting. Oh so, man, there's a lot of stuff about this because, like I said, they teach it in um, in journalist ethics classes. Yeah, so, like it's it's a really interesting thing to read about. Um, but yeah, yeah, fucked up, man. Man, that's yeah, that's that's crazy. I. I uh, I uh, I guess it's a, a pointed question. Uh, when, when are we When are we going to solve all this, Kath? <laughs> I just, I don't know, can, can I get like a, just a date or like just I just want to keep. I, I had a really good conversation with my Dominican Lyft driver about this. Thing <laughs> and, uh, it sounds like you guys almost got to the bottom of it. I think we did. I like. Uh, yeah, no, it was funny when we got to my house. We were both like, "Well, I think we solved." Yeah, I think, yeah, we, yeah. I think we ended racism. Yeah. Today. Lift ride. Yeah, um, damn! You should have skyped it or fucking uh, Facebook's lived yeah. it, so we all could enjoy the the racial oh, harmony guys. living now. You're gonna need to talk to Joel. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's name. All right, so I'm looking for a Dominican <laughs> named Joel. Gotcha. I'm on yeah. it. I'll look. Yeah. No, I there's there, are, there certainly aren't uh, many of those. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> What's crazy is the like. The, the uh, I'm not, not going to sit here and say that I I have even pretend to know what the answer to, to, to racism is or anything like that, but the it, it oh no, I, uh, Pat is a white rapper. Yeah, yeah, We're not yeah, solving yeah. racism on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I I I myself I was problematic when my eyes opened up this morning, you know. <laughs> but like, it's funny. It always feels that like uh, as. Okay, as complex as the answer would be to that question, it also feels like the shorthand of it would just be like, yeah, "Come on, come on, man! Everybody, just fucking, just, just cool, be, be cool, you know." And that's like the such the, the shitty, stupid shorthand. But like, it's almost like when Einstein says he wants a grand theory that unifies small and big, uh, you know, uh, quantum level and macro physics, and he talks about how like the 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 theory that unites them should be so simple and elegant that you can explain it to a child because if not then you're probably wrong and so it's like it feels like whatever answer we have to uh race relations in this country uh it's gonna be uh, the underneath gonna be very complex but on the, the top it should be able to just be easily explained and i just have a big fear that the easy explanation we'll get one day in three thousand years from a supercomputer is just gonna be like Come on, man! Just fucking, just be yeah. cool, dude. Like, just, just chill out, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's what pisses me off. It's like I know that, like, once you get all the the heavy math and the heavy lifting out of the way, that's the general idea, and that just pisses me yeah. off even more. <laughs> it's frustrating because it's like, why is it so hard to do? Yeah, that, right? yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so I feel like for this one, it's like this is a pretty clear not worth it. Cause like, oh yeah, not worth it at all. All she got was one point six million dollars twenty six twenty six years later. Yeah, she like lo- the amount of income she yeah. lost from like being a yeah yeah yeah, and I'm sure from being a, 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 a albeit gifted sociopath, you know, saying like I'm sure that twenty six years uh, on the outs working minimum wage, I'm sure she walked out of that with some just sterling personality traits. You know, like oh, yeah. I'm sure she like you know how like you have like like a just you know a kind of a crazy person who's really good at lying and then just imagine them well later on into their life when the world has lost their patience with them and just kind of probably not the 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 most happy character i'd imagine yeah not not a fun person to be around just like someone yeah. kind of narcissistic yeah it would be like who has had nothing go right for them yeah not a great person yeah it'd be like like i would have like these like older ladies come to the pawn shop who were very nice they're very like personable but a lot of times they would just they knew that you were gonna like you know just they're, they're, they're old now but they were young like like you know going we were wilding out so it's like i talked to them like oh you know i just was one lady one time was literally trying to tell me she had thrush in her throat and then she oh. would and yeah which is gross and she would point to her throat but there really wasn't anything in there minus the fact that she was just kind of a gross person and she was like you know i just i gotta get money for this person i got thrush in my throat and she, ah, she would point to her thing and i just be like she knew i didn't want to look at it she knew i just wanted her out of there yeah. and it was just like that you know that's the the old version of a person who's just been lying their whole life and now they're now they just happen to look adorable when they do it like well i hope that janet cook is at least doing better than that lady with thrush in her throat yeah right yeah yeah it's disgusting yeah it's fucking gross and uh <laughs> i always fucking manage up a pawn shop story on this <laughs> like it's it's so applicable it's uh you know the, the, i know we gotta do a we gotta do an episode where you just talk about uh pawn shops I, yeah I, I, i'm gonna start compiling the, the best i gotta i gotta realize think about which ones i haven't mentioned on the here or which ones i haven't gone into too much detail because I don't want to I don't want to tell somebody a, like a thrush story twice you know? <laughs> cool well shit that's crazy that's I did not know like I said I did not know all the the other yeah. side of that and what impact that's why they got to make a movie about it yeah to teach yeah them. no they're, 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 they maybe we can option this podcast into a movie yeah. <laughs> hell yeah a movie about liars frauds thieves and bullshitters absolutely well yeah that's the story uh thank you for listening everybody um, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tweet us at LCS Podcast. Yeah, do all that good uh, stuff. I, I, last, I, I fucking meant to talk about this. I didn't want it to be non-organic, but last episode we asked you to send you, send us your horse names on Twitter. Is, is there anything that they uh, that they could send us today? No, if it's not organic, I don't want to do it. <laughs> uh, you can send us. I'm trying to think of one that isn't just like send us times people have been racist. Yeah, it is screen. Just send us a link to Twitter, just like the website oh, here's itself. A good, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Send us your dumbest think piece that you can find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send us just the the the, the, the dumbest, most least informed think piece. I'll get the the idea. Get you the idea. I once read one um, about the movie Inside Out um, about how this lady was just livid that the character who represents in a depression was fat <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah perfect example yeah, yeah so that sort of thing listeners we challenge you to find something dumb like <laughs> yeah alright guys well shit Kath uh, lovely conversation today great story uh, yeah guys thanks for tuning in and you know remember don't get caught don't get caught alright bye
International. 